0: Okay, we ready? Yep. You're going to do uh, intro music and stuff, or maybe? Like, vibes? Yes, vibes, okay. Yes. vibes. Oh, yes!
1: <gasps> like, stranger things synth! Put all the synth in there! <laughs> yeah,
0: no. Uh, okay, so maybe we leave all that in there. <laughs> hey, everyone, we're starting a, a brand new... Midweek podcast. Um, I'm here with Jess and Mike. This is the sound of my voice. This is yes, that is the sound (laughs) of (laughs) your voice. It sounds different than on Sunday. That was a little bit. um, It was a little bit intense, Mike. Right there. Just joking. (laughs) Um, Okay, this is a new podcast that we're doing probably for this series, um, um, but it might pop up later too. It's called Still Processing, is what we're calling it, and. Um, it's processing stuff that's coming up uh, for us and the congregation from the Sunday teaching, what was happening in the room, that sort of thing. And some of this will be like you had to be there in the room to like know what we're talking about here. Some of it is if you listen to the podcast, you'll probably uh, hear like, you'll understand where we're, we're coming from. But a lot of this is for us to add footnotes um, to add clarity to uh, answer maybe even feedback or questions that people might be having in uh, the church with everything, especially as we're in this like pretty crazy topic, the unseen realm. And as we're in this topic, this is for a lot of people in the church, this is a new thing, a new, Everyone, what did you say? People said I thought we were just talking about the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, they're like the unseen realm. I really only thought it was like the way the Holy Spirit worked. Yeah, I was like so much more.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we'll they get there. For. Yeah, yep. we'll definitely get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. But it's yeah. it's a lot about the unseen realm. It's mm-hmm. like the things that we can't see. God created two worlds that overlapped in Eden, and overlap in Jesus. And um, what's that all about? So that's yeah. kind of it. That's what we're doing. So I'm still, I'm. we're just going to start with like what things we're processing. And I'm still processing. Okay. I'm still processing how like not good or not clear, maybe is a better way of saying it, uh, Sunday first service was. So we're doing this, this like um, new teaching. And I was not just like really spazzy first service, but I think I was watching the clock and it was so long. How was long it was seconds was like an hour was a teaching. Yeah. Haven't done an hour teaching since like super pre pandemic. <laughs> I don't think, not that, not that often. I would make fun of preachers who'd go, My, a good friend of mine goes an hour. I'm like, dude, no Too one much. used to no go. One. You should be able to say everything you say in, in 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> an hour later, um, I'm still trying to say these things. But first service, I was really mindful of the time because we have second service coming. And so I'm trying to say all these things really fast and really spazzy. And I think I was a bit unclear to where somebody even walked up like, I don't understand anything that happened. And thank you for <laughs> playing that video because that was the only thing I understood. Yeah, And so I felt a little bit bad. So if you were at first service, first of all, sorry, <laughs> really sorry. Um, and, uh, and go back and listen to, did we post second? Yes. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Um, Go back and listen to the second. I, I might've been a little bit more clear. I felt more clear. Second, I was able to tie a few things together that I think I left out, like flat out left out for service. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I forgot to say that. Cause I <laughs> threw to the video too fast or whatever. So that's what I'm still yeah. processing.
1: Yeah. And I'm still processing the concept that you dropped, which was God capital G versus, or what's the difference between the lowercase God or gods, which is many gods I'm just like, wait a second, I think I grew up thinking there was only one God, that's it, and there was nothing else at play, nor did I actually think there was any kind of unseen realm until way later in life, and so I feel like that concept had a lot of people just thinking and still processing, like, what does that actually mean for me, what does that mean for the way that God works today, and in our lives, and like, all the other things, and I'm like... And it's not pitting them against one another either. It's just there is a distinguishing between them. And so that's something I'm still processing. Yeah, sure. can, we, can yeah. we process it? Yes. Too yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I'd like for us to clarify as best we can what we mean by gods yep. or what the biblical observation means when in the sermon you're saying, look, look at how these scriptures say that there are gods. To what extent are there gods? And then I think... Not to add too much on it, but the yeah. parallel is, I think when we talk to our uh, uh, friends that are not Jesus followers, yes. yeah. it sort of does fit in with a pluralistic, relativistic yes. kind of worldview, belief yeah. that says, oh, I've always believed in the gods. In fact, I believe that every religion is an equal, equally yes. valid path to God. Yep. What, so what do we mean by the sermon, and how does it fit into that relativistic, pluralistic worldview? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is why this podcast is now existing <laughs> in the world because I think what I tried to do on Sunday and what we've all studied, yeah. I mean, we've been studying this for a while, is that the, um, there is a category for gods in the Bible. We remove that category because we think monotheism means that there is one God and no other gods. But literal Hebrew um language what we would call god translate god is used of other gods elohim is the Mm -hmm. word it's used of yahweh and other gods now um uh the um other spiritual beings other spiritual beings is probably what most people are comfortable with but the bible uses gods that's kind of my point so the bible uses god not not that now uh the the it jewish faith is monotheistic And Christianity is monotheistic. So the teaching is there's one God, and God creates a heavenly family, and he creates an earthly family. Mm -hmm. We know about the earthly family, and the heavenly family we're kind of vague on. We think angels, that's it, (laughs) and then we think demons. There are only two categories. Mm -hmm. But there's so many more categories Mm -hmm. in the unseen realm um, that are on on God's side, that are with God, and that rebelled from God. That's kind of the the first kind of thing we're so yes, there's there's other gods. Now, how does that fit into um, the like pluralistic? And this is where I think this is where the conversation can go all kinds of different ways for me. So I don't know how it would go for you. How how would you answer that question? I would say
2: that um, this might be a challenging topic for someone who's sort of just had a pretty normal Bible church background. If if you've been in the church for a while and most of your interaction with it has been I I come to Sunday I hear a sermon that is geared towards my personal application and therefore the function of the Bible is a little bit about me and and um maybe has some ethical implications as well then of course you would never need to dip into the biblical semantic meaning of Elohim mm-hmm. and and how wide is the range of the word Elohim in scripture that would never be relevant to you because your main function of your interaction with scripture is about uh the moralistic therapeutic deism thing like it's is it helping me feel better is it helping me live my life so it does make sense that it would be a blind spot for a lot of people in the kinds of churches that are popular in america Um, so my question for like further research Mm -hmm. would be uh what are the different theological voices saying around the definition of elohim and would it be smart for us to use that hebrew word as a placeholder for spiritual beings when i call it god i think of all the gods are equal in the pantheon of Greco-Roman, whatever, uh, <laughs> gods. So when we say gods, like when we're preaching on, on Sunday, we're not saying all of the Elohim mentioned people, in scripture, good yeah. and bad, are on par with God. We're mm-hmm. saying there is a divine counsel in Job. Mm-hmm. There's a we utilized in Genesis 1 that could be interpreted as Trinity, but it would fit better to be referred to since it's an early text and Job is the earliest text of of Hebrew that we have in the old Testament that, um, that why isn't the we there, the divine council seems like given the other old Testament verses about the Elohim that you'd be smarter to interpret Genesis one that way. But we're not saying that the divine council, all these gods are equal. It's that there's God, there's God, Yahweh, God, that God is also called Elohim.
0: And then there are the other Elohim. Yeah. As well. The Bible project uses like, um, the title mom, there's yeah.
1: mom's birthday. That's there's it mom. Said. Yeah. Yeah. Going to mom's birthday. Yeah. And the title, there's yeah. all kinds
0: of moms. It's a, it's a, it's a placeholder for mm-hmm. a kind of person. Yeah. And, and then you have your mom and, um, now that's helpful and not helpful. That's helpful in the sense of, oh yeah. Th- okay. Yes. I, it's a category of like a, a title for someone, mm-hmm. but then it's like, but, uh, uh, but is there like a Supreme mom? And that's where it gets a bit more confusing. So that metaphor breaks down. And the Bible says there's a lot of false moms. Yes. yes. And that Well, you all, all <laughs> of these gods are false gods in the sense that they're not Yahweh not God. Yeah. Okay. I think, okay, so there's probably a few different layers that you would, okay, if you're looking at it uh, from the, like, um, like you said, a Bible application, how do I live yeah. uh, a life as a disciple of Jesus, then I think that this stuff's really important, but... You probably can go through your life and just be like, I don't really, I'm going to put this in the category of I don't know and just move on with my life and possibly you'd be fine l- unless you got, you know, demonized or something. Um, that's <laughs> further, that's later on this, yes. in this series. Um, but but if, you were, if you're really engaging with people who are pluralistic, people who have been to India, been to Latin America, been to pretty much anywhere else except for the Western world, you're going to be bumping up into people who believe in the gods. Now, you can say, those gods, you just made them up. Out of your head, out of thin air, it's part of your tradition. Or you can say, the Bible says there's actually a category for, like, rulers over places around the world that actually spoke to prophets. So those gods are not the Yahweh God. They are, they are powerful beings, that some people are like, oh, those are all demons. Probably, like, that is a a category. Mm -hmm. But the Mm -hmm. category that the Hebrew scripture uses is gods. Like, these are gods. They were part of God's heavenly council that rebelled against God. And then eventually, this is what we talked about a little bit on Sunday, Mm -hmm. in the Tower of Babel event, afterwards, God divided up the nations and gave these lesser Elohim to rule over certain nations, which... Actually, and I said this first service and it wasn't helpful. Again, first service people, I'm so sorry. I said, I think I threw in this like quip about like this actually starts to like, when you do the ancient alien thing, you're like, "Uh," and it probably wasn't helpful (laughs) at all. It's a niche thing I have. I have like this niche, like one of my favorite things is like, what's your most weird niche theology or thing? (laughs) And I always bring up either like Nephilim, Bigfoot or aliens. Um, And I'm like, and I th- that wasn't helpful, but, and I'm sorry. So for service, again, I'm sorry. But I think what I meant by that is that you have all this phenomena in the world that mm-hmm. people can't explain. Now, you rationalist, rational, materialistic Western people just right off as like, oh, those people are insane. They all had a hallucination. That, that You can't make sense of it. But most of the world throughout known history, and even today, the most of the world, believes that there's something there. And this allows... This kind of, if you actually read the scriptures, it allows for that to be something. And what is that something? And that's the that's the debate.
2: Yeah, I guess the risk here is that if you didn't take the Bible for, like take God on God's terms or take the Bible on the Bible's terms, then you're going to constantly just read it through your current worldview, your default beliefs, the things that you've taken from your uh, public school system experience, or your family of origin. And so the attempt here is to say, um, you, you have to... You're unlocking something new when you're open to a worldview that's different than your own. And so if you reread through scripture, paying a little bit more attention to uh, some of these observations from scripture that you might have not known before, you're going to unlock something unique. And then you will see the rest of scripture through a better lens.
0: Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. I think that's the challenge though, is like you're hitting on something that where you're like, you could probably go through your whole life, never considering something different. Or like Dave, you alluded to this in the sermon where you said the hard and soft sciences. We are rational, logical beings. But for some reason, we don't have a category for this nuance, which I'm like, as a Christ follower, I was like, I actually think that's a call to be challenged, to like grow more in our discipleship, which is why we should wrestle with some of these questions. While I think these are fun, I'm like, well, now I have to rethink why this applies to me and my relationship with God. Like, what is it about this mystery and am i am i okay with that too but i think there is something in the process of allowing ourselves to ask the questions and to also be comfortable saying we're still processing and we may may not get to the end of this this rational thing by the end of this podcast yeah. or even through this series but we're committed to keep going you know so yeah
0: that's a good tagline yeah. just still process i'm, I'm still processing <laughs> what this is elohim yeah. i'm still processing
2: can I say yeah. one thing about, yes. given what you said, I think I appreciate what you said there. If my response to what you've just said is, I'm only going to major in the majors, which yes. I think is a healthy way to yep. keep theology in in reference to like only yes. focusing on what's important. Yes. We all know people who have taken one theological issue from scripture. Like Christian blown it,
1: conspiracy theorists.
2: Or like, <laughs> I'm only an end times yep. guy. Yes. You True. know, whatever. True. Like yeah. we all have those, those people yes. who have overemphasized a thing that the yep. Bible doesn't overemphasize. Yep. And so people tend to say, I'm only going to major on how to become a Christian and how to like become a a stronger, healthier, wealthier, or wiser Christian, you know? The downside of that though, Mm -hmm. is you're not taking all of the witness of scripture, all of that chorus and all those different voices into your life. And so you tend to just emphasize the things that, again, you're predisposed within your culture. And and a lot of American churches emphasize, how do I get my foot in the door with Jesus? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do I take a step into faith with Jesus? And then... They don't know much about sanctification. They don't yeah. know much about, well, study your Bible more, I guess, would be the typical message of something. This is like with people with a church background. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you just major in the majors, but there's no curiosity to the whole witness of Scripture, you're never going to be a well rounded Christian. Yep. You'll always emphasize the things that sort of everyone else around you emphasizes, yeah. which is not the kind of countercultural Jesus following faith that I think we're led into. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, have so, a, I have a curiosity about. Okay, yeah, go. Are you going to transition us? Yeah. <laughs> no never I I have a curiosity given first of all don't hold me accountable to the quips that I've said during sermons (laughs) same way with you you quoted ancient aliens and then now I'm transitioning us to my curiosity about the book of Enoch Uh which is like uh, you know understand when a quip happens in a sermon and don't email me about it unless it's really juicy you know (laughs) It is so you quoted the book of Enoch and or, or you didn't quote didn't it but quote you referenced it, it and yeah. then sort of said like this is how a, a book like the book of Enoch which is not in the canon of scripture yeah. not not of the historically approved witness of ap- apostolic you know I wouldn't. Hmm.
0: it's not canonized it's not canonized it's historically approved
2: Oh yeah yeah what I mean is I was trying to find another way to say canon but basically oh. you know like the all oh, the scriptures for, yeah. in canon from the very early date of the um of the early church mm-hmm. yeah. were the, these were the documents that got copied. You would only copy a manuscript that was apostolic mm-hmm. or from the apostles because why else would you risk your neck getting killed by the Roman government copying a book that wasn't credible mm-hmm. in the early church, which is why you have 25,000 documents of the New Testament copied and like one gospel of these other things, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. not Thomas as many of these Royale. other ones. Yeah, which was written 600 years later. Or something. Yeah. So um, all that to say, What's the role of Enoch? Why did you reference it? Mm-hmm. Give some explanation as far as what, what mm-hmm. how does Enoch color in the lines of this whole topic?
0: Yeah. I think I think I referenced reference it first and second, and then also Dead Sea Scrolls, yes. which I yeah. think I, I got comments on both of those. I, I made a comment on our text thread that like if I quote like Kendrick Lamar or C.S. Lewis, no one bats an eye, but Enoch, everybody's like, what did you just <laughs> say? What was that? Yeah. yeah. Um Okay, so basically the well the why I, I put it in there? I think Enoch you know, colors a lot of this. First of all, the Book of Enoch is um, a book that was probably we don't know how far back oral tradition went, but it was written down somewhere in the uh, Second Temple period, where most of the Old Testament was eventually edited by scribes and and the version that we have now. And um, uh, we've only we actually only had copies of copies of it, so we thought for a long time that uh, that Peter and Jude, um, the, the person who wrote Enoch was borrowing from Peter and Jude because some of the things that they, that, that Enoch was saying were referenced that book, um, was referenced in first Peter or second Peter and in Jude. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls happened and mm-hmm. 47, 48, 46, something like that. Yeah. I'm forgetting 56,
2: that. Whatever it was, the Dead Sea Scrolls
1: Dated.
0: As a
2: concept. Yeah. or a, Oh, yeah.
0: A, for the... Another click-in, another footnote. Yep.
2: Yeah, it would be... There's this ascetic group that sort of like... They lived outside of the mm. uh, general geography of the Bible, outside of Jerusalem. And so the, they, they preserved all these old manuscripts, and they lived in caves sort of out in the desert. And then it was amazing that they found them. It's just like an amazing fact of history that yeah. all of these documents were preserved in these jars. It is insane. It's crazy. To your point about what we gained in the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. that, so they found them you know, centuries later, and then... Um, they're old. They're, be- they're hundreds of years before Jesus. If I remember correctly, our, our best copy of Isaiah mm-hmm. was, From was in the Dead Sea Scrolls because we had yeah. copies of copies of Isaiah, and so you date it back to, like, we think this is the oldest manuscript we have, and then when, you, when you're when you dating something like that, you're kind of going, like, oh, I wonder when the original manuscript was written down, and then, I think, that, similar to Enoch, I think they had, like, a particular date for it, mm-hmm. Uh, bc you know yep and then this in the dead sea scrolls it was much earlier and we have a whole manuscript of it and it was unchanged from the centuries later copy that we had which is kind of a neat testimony about how accurate the copies of the old testament manuscripts are so the dead sea scrolls validated all sorts of
0: biblical manuscripts and so it was just a treasure trove of archaeology and it clarified something so i said i said um i think i said something about um a passage oh my gosh i'm forgetting now a Psalm. passage it clarified, yeah. and um, yeah, I think it was in uh, in Psalm, and how the passage in in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls clarified uh, like a, a manuscript error that kind of like mm. a small one that w- that got in there where it actually did mean this, and and we thought it meant NIV says one thing. Anyways, I'm probably not being helpful right now, so I'm gonna move on. <laughs> so they found they when they in in, in um, Dead Sea Scrolls they found uh, the books of Enoch. And they realized that the books of Enoch were older than the New Testament, way older.
2: And so, gives you a glimpse of what people believed in the intertestamental period, exactly. Between the Old and Testament and the New. Filled
0: Testament. in so much of uh, Genesis one through eleven, mm, mm-hmm. and mapped over. Again, this is getting into the weeds. A bunch of Mesopotamian um, uh, uh, creation myth mm. story mm-hmm. that that they believed, and mapped over it, it, it. So much so that we know now that. Peter and Jude studied Enoch and were quoting Enoch in their letters. So I referenced it for that very reason. So what you don't get in the Bible, you, you get from Enoch. So it fills in, the book of Enoch fills in the gaps of like what was going on there and what was going on there. And then why did Jude and, and um, Peter quote it? And then you, Enoch kind of ties it all together. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's, it, that's, it that's why I, I, I,
2: I use that as a reference. It's a bit of a... T- tell me if I'm making the same argument you're making. That it's an, an artifact of history that tells you something about the frame of reference that the New Testament writers would have had by living as first century Palestinian Jews. Like, they would have known about Enoch. They would have been influenced by the influence on they Being would have studied
1: it, they would have taken, yeah, reference to that and created and wrote.
2: Well, they would have li- lived yeah, in a lived world in a
1: world where that was.
2: Yeah, I don't want to overstate yeah. it in terms of how much influence they would have, but it's an it's not a it's not a canonized scripture. Yes.
1: It's not yeah.
2: it's not um,
1: Yeah. I think the importance here is for you to be like it's mapping over it. So we're not taking it just one source from that, but it's filling in, like you said, it's filling in the color from what they're referring to and giving us more context, I think of the concepts of the unseen realm. I do want to bring up another topic if we're ready to like move Wait, on. Let me just quote okay, this <laughs> really quick just okay, so great. that
0: people understand what I'm talking about. Yes. So I'm not super unclear. So when uh, Jude says, and the angels who Jude 1, 6, I quote this on Sunday and the, mm-hmm. and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change For judgment on that on the great day that there is a um a quote of enoch so what happened to the watchers and what happened to the elohim that were disobedient to god um enoch goes into detail that very first book of enoch uh, first enoch just goes into the watchers and all the all all the elohim and what happened to them when they fell so jude's reading that and he's quoting this is what happened when they fell. That's what he's quoting. And so I, I use that to say, when you read about, and we were, again, doing Babel, when you read uh, the Babel, the Tower of Babel story, and then you read a little further in um, Deuteronomy 32, which I quoted, that gives you a little bit more color on what was going on spiritually, mm-hmm. the unseen, mm-hmm. what was going on in the unseen about God dividing up the nations and... Mm-hmm. Um, And then giving the Elohim or the gods over the nations and then choosing Israel as his own, which Mm -hmm. is the, that's the, that (laughs) is literally the story of Genesis one through 11. Um, All of that gets, those two things are said, but Enoch fills it out with what happens and it maps over all of it. And it's even quoted in the New Testament. All that to say, it's used as a source. So is it inspired Mm -hmm. scripture? We don't see that. They're, they're Orthodox, I think the Orthodox Church sees an inspired scripture, but the Protestant Church doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think believe the Catholic Church does, but maybe I'm wrong there. But it's, it's, um, it's knowledge that inspired the inspired scriptures, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Can we parallel with,
2: okay, so Genesis 1, in a Western church tradition, can be, in, can be interpreted as a literal description of yep. the days that it took God yeah. to make the earth or you can read it in light of another un- you know, non-scriptural creation myth by the ancient Canaanite mm-hmm. creation myth mm-hmm. that was around uh, um, Genesis 1 so closely reflects, with, with some stark contrast, the claims of the Canaanite creation myth that's ancient mm-hmm. and was written down, therefore almost certainly earlier than Genesis 1 was written down. Uh, there, there's sort of a parallel there, that Genesis 1 is a theological, Theological critique, as far as I understand it, of, of the ancient creation myth of the Canaanites to say God is sovereign, he's the one true God, and he creates out of his character as a creative God, not out of a, a war that defeats other gods, not out of a, a spirit of anger and hostility and, um, you know, domineer, domineering mm-hmm. of every other power, but, but God simply by his very nature is in supremacy over everything and therefore can create with a word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, over the watery abyss and all that stuff. But all these different images from Genesis 1 are a correction to the popular Canaanite creation myth. So that's also non-biblical text. Mm-hmm. that shaped the writing of Genesis 1 and if you didn't understand that then you would likely misinterpret what Genesis
0: 1 is. Yes. Does that make yeah. sense? Absolutely. And I think this is where this is where people start like short-circuiting. Some people maybe not <laughs> people listen to this they're tracking 100%. But there's some people that are like, I I don't want to know that there are multiple um, Elohim um, because it's just way easier to think there's one Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. I I think, and I understand that. I totally, as a pastor, I understand that. And I, um, when you start to round out your theology with uh, biblical theology, like uh, like what, what the Bible the people who wrote the Bible, what they were saying when they said it. And as um, the readers, and you know, this is a a very famous saying, the Bible was written, the Bible was not written to us, but it's for us. Mm -hmm. So it's not written to us. Like we're rationalistic Western people, but it was written for us for sure. So as it was written for us, as we learn it, it starts to make more sense of the evil in the world. Mm -hmm. Where if you only have um, God And uh, a devil, and the devil is like, you know, he can possess and all this other stuff. You're left with like questions like, how could a God like this allow all this stuff in the world? But if you start with like, there's a a God and he creates his heavenly family and his earthly family with Mm -hmm. like himself, with free will, and knowing full well that it could go wrong, or that it will go wrong, mm-hmm. um, but chooses anyways to do it because of um, because of that's what love does. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that every parent has a kid knowing this kid could completely, you know, ruin my life. Eventually, they can they can just turn against me and kill me. But it's worth it. I love. You know, it's worth the risk. Um, that's 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 what love does. You know, mm-hmm. so th- that starts to make a little bit more sense of the world that we live actually in a my seminary professor would say in a in a spiritual war zone mm-hmm. um adam and eve were placed in a place they're supposed to subdue the earth mm-hmm. which feels war zony. you yeah. know like the language like yeah. the language is like mm-hmm. go and subdue the earth because um it's not it's not full of of uh my presence yet it's not mm-hmm. eden yet all of it so anyways it gets a little bit too in the weeds but i think that's what maybe we're <laughs> yeah. trying to do here it's like how we get, go a little bit deeper but
1: yeah I want to change the subject, okay. though, too. I know as we went on that amazing tangent, and I feel like we'll still be processing this for a lot longer. But I do want to talk about a little bit about what you meant by um, the seedbed of the Trinity.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. So the
1: heavenly, like,
0: Yeah, the, 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 the divine
1: council is yeah. the seedbed of the Trinity. And yes. you just, that blew my mind. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah,
0: so I've always <laughs> taught and yeah. read um uh Genesis chapter 1 and 2 from a place where the um, let us language mm-hmm. and now they they are like us mm. knowing good and evil that mm-hmm. stuff as just that's the trinity and yep. completely the trinity and I don't think that's a wrong interpretation as you look at the whole scope of the Bible sure. but if you're looking at like what did they mean yeah and what did the first readers learn mm. um they meant Elo- uh, the gods, the yes. Elohim. They meant the uh, divine counsel. Mm-hmm. That's what they meant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's how they understood the world. And, um, uh, well, I asked Tim Becky this question. Yes,
1: great. And I just like, hey,
0: <laughs> I just texted him last week, and I just voice texted him and said, hey, man, I don't, I'm struggling with this because I I want to understand this. And, uh, and I, I, anyway, so he just sent me this voice text uh, that I'll just play because I think it's really helpful. He yeah, just like kind of... He made the sense of some stuff.
3: Hey, Dave. Um, I'm so glad um, those videos are being helpful for what you're doing at reality. That's so cool to hear, man. Really, really cool. Um, yeah, the let us make. Um, you know, uh, one way that I got an angle on that question that kind of surprised me was there's a couple other. Um, the moments where God speaks in that divine plural um, one is at the exile of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden where God says look the human has become like one of us knowing good and bad Um, that links back to something that the snake said earlier in chapter 3 which was um, you won't die Um, God knows Elohim knows that in the day that you eat from the tree, you will become like Elohim, knowers of good and bad. And what's really interesting about the word Elohim is that it can refer to the singular Elohim, or it can refer to the plural, just spiritual beings. And what's interesting about what the snake says is when he says you will become like Elohim, Most of our English translations there um, translate that as referring to the one Elohim. That is, you can become like God. However, it's totally possible in Hebrew that what the snake says is, you won't die and the day you eat of it. You will become like spiritual beings, knowing good and bad. And that interpretation gets reinforced by what God says. When he exiles the humans, um, the human has become like one of us. Uh, knowing good and bad in other words that god and the spiritual beings at that point in the story are the ones with the wisdom and knowledge to discern what is good and not good and the humans have now decided to participate in that divine knowledge of making distinctions so that's the first uh divine plural after genesis 1. there's another one in genesis 11 in the babel Bible story where uh, God says, let us go down um, and, and see what they're doing and let us confuse their languages. And what's, I guess, important there is Genesis 11 and Babylon is, as you probably know, a key story in um, the origin story of the rebels of the divine council. So all those contextual clues in Genesis 1 to 11 point me in the direction of saying that the divine council um, is m- most likely the kind of the first m- most likely referent in context to the let us make human in our image that is that the human is made from the dirt but also reflects the, the in some way the likeness of spiritual beings including the chief spiritual being you know god himself um, So that on one level, I do think the divine council interpretation is persuasive. However, the divine council idea really is the seedbed uh, in its ancient Jewish context for what became uh, Trinitarian thought. So the idea that God shares, um, you know, order or rule of the cosmos with spiritual beings. Like that's the basic idea of the divine council. But then as you go through the Hebrew Bible, you notice one particular spiritual being who's called the angel of Yahweh, who is also just sometimes called Yahweh, who appears in humanoid form like to Moses or to Isaiah or to Elijah, uh, excuse me, um, Ezekiel. And that character is also called Yahweh and then sometimes the messenger of Yahweh. And I think that uh, what that reflects is in ancient pre-Christian context, there was a concept of a divine plurality within God's own being. And the divine council was one way to talk about that. The messenger of the Lord is another way to talk about that. And really, I think this is the seedbed of uh, Trinitarian thought, of the idea of there being essentially two, two Yahwehs, um, the, the visible... One who becomes visible to humans, the manifestation of Yahweh, and then, you know, the the chief, ancient of days, Yahweh, you know, that's um, kind of hidden behind the clouds, of there being two two Yahwehs, and that's totally at work in the Hebrew Bible, um, and it seems to be a key part of the framework for how the earliest followers of Jesus made sense of his claims to be the human. Uh, Yahweh become human. So, and actually, Mike Heiser was an important person that helped me uh, see that, was the the divine council context as the seedbed of Trinitarian thought. So in that bigger sense, a Trinitarian interpretation of Genesis 1, um, I think is on point if you're taking the whole sweep of history into view in other words the ideas that were in seed form in their ancient jewish context that grew into more clarified trinitarian thought like all of that is rooted in those divine plurals and so it's not i think wide of the mark to um say that the divine us there is on its way to the trinity but i think it's pressing it a little too far to say that the biblical author pre-christian you know, second temple, Jewish author, prophet, scribe, you know, nerds who put the final shape to the Torah and prophets, that they had something like the Trinity in mind, but they definitely had something like the two Yahwehs, um, the invisible and the visible one, that they did have that on their mind. And that um, is my current understanding of it at the moment. Um, Mike Heiser has a number of podcasts on this topic. I'll see if I can send some your way so that I can bring an end to this now way too long um, voice memo. <laughs> anyway, uh, great question, Dave. I've obviously thought about it myself and want to think about it a lot more. So I hope you and your family are well as we transition into the fall, and it's good to hear your voice. See you, man.
1: So what we're gathering, too, is that even Tim Mackey is still processing yeah. the seedbed. <laughs> I love him so much. He's, yeah. so- He's amazing. He, you can say,
0: he can say in seven minutes what you can try to do in 45 minutes. Yes. Like, and he does that with his. Like on Sunday, I'm like, yeah. I'm talking for an hour, and I play a video of six Tim and Bio, Bio yeah. Project. Six yeah. minutes. So I was like, oh, what? Is that what you were saying? Why don't we just do the video? Which, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> can, so,
2: I, can I restate that? Yeah, please. Is yeah. It, so he's saying, um, you clearly would not expect that the person who wrote Mm -hmm. down Genesis one had the Trinity in mind, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have evidence to believe that that was the case. And so if you believe that Genesis one was about the Trinity strictly, Mm -hmm. you would believe it in a a spiritual sense, that God inspired those words, though the author did not know what they were quite getting at. A more historical reading of it would be to say, there were these seed beds, these these progressive revelation, fulfillments of the little prophecies, Prophetic uh, descriptions of God's character, revelations of of the Elohim that are in God's counsel, that over the course of time would then make sense when they met Jesus to say, "Oh, we do have a frame of reference here because yep. of the Angel yeah. of the Lord." That's right. And so, are either of them wrong? No. One of them is just a bit more of a historical thread kind of reading, yep. where you go, "Oh, look at look at how the Trinity was not made obvious in Genesis one, and yet." There is a plurality. Yeah. And look how that plurality reveals itself. And look how it culminates in Jesus yeah. saying, The Father and I are one. Yeah. And I've been around from the beginning and I and I'm the preexistent God mm-hmm. that's the light breaking into a dark world. And you know. So I like that. I think that's a better reading of like taking the scripture as a whole. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: I feel like you just described like what your title of your sermon was was re-enchanting. I'm like, that is re-enchanting to me, that there's something inspired. Before even the authors knew that God still had a hand in the way He authored it, mm-hmm. and so as I'm still processing that, it's like, wow, is it? It opens up a world for me that was, you know, unseen of like the way that God authored His story yeah. and our story in yeah. that, and so, yeah. I think so
2: the sh- shepherding part is yeah. my effort. Yeah. What do you do when you're introducing yeah. an idea that? a Christian might have not heard before yeah. and might be almost countercultural to their mm-hmm. Christian upbringing. the, the challenge that it poses, I think on a normal Christian is when you teach something very different than what they've heard before, you're almost, it almost functions as a threat to the person that they loved and trusted that taught them mm-hmm. the Bible for years. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. every Christian has this experience mm-hmm. where you, you learn the scriptures more and you go, why it wasn't, I told this earlier, yeah. but that's like a normal Christian yeah. part of understanding the scripture better. Yeah. Yeah. And like we all should run into that. You should know the Bible.
1: Yeah. I think that's you- maturity. I think that's yeah. like as our we like embark to be like Jesus, like our discipleship, we should have moments. I think you're normalizing the moment where you're like, oh man, I want to be aware of whether or not I'm can have a reaction like that. Like there's been some topics I'm like that throughout my like Christian walk where I'm like, wait, no one ever taught me this. And I would get so upset. But then it's a process of just aligning back to being like, Oh, but it wasn't completely wrong. There's just parts of it that I want to keep growing in. Yeah. You know? So,
0: yeah, yeah, I think we, we've, we over the years, we've tackled and taught on some topics that, um, that are, that, not that, um, I don't know how to say this, <laughs> that are new for some people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And whether it's new because... Uh, they never thought about that, or it's new because they didn't. They thought about it, but they never really want to dive into it because they thought it was a little mm. too scary. Mm. Um, scary, not in the sense of like like horror scary, but scary in the sense of if I open this box, will I start to, will my faith start to unravel? Mm. Will I start to not believe that what I believe? I'm afraid of that. Well, what else is different than I thought yes. when yeah. I was young? Younger. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and there's words for that that people use these days. Um, so I. Pastoring people through that is part of what this podcast mm-hmm. is about. It's mm-hmm. like trying to go slow and to say, okay, this, this doesn't mess with uh, this. If you hang on, this will actually add yes. to the authority of Scripture, the, the, the power of God and what Jesus has done and who he is. I promise you. Mm-hmm. It will start filling in gaps to things like, I, I now can, I can listen to that thing and it can map over what I believe. So it's it's when you don't when you hear about something, whether it's supernatural or a phenomenon that you can't really map over. Like I don't have a category for that, Mm -hmm. so it can't fit into my worldview because I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. Where when you have categories for like I actually know where to plug that in and I know how God could be sovereign over that Mm -hmm. thing and I know I know the story I know what God is trying to do. that's, if you hang on, even this Sunday, we'll, we'll talk about, like, the three rebellions mm-hmm. and how those three rebellions map over the work of Jesus. And it will start to make sense of why Jesus did what he did. And because we always take it so personal, like, because of my personal sin. And because and yes, that and more. so much yeah. more. Um, and I, I think we'll start rounding it out a, a lot. And But for some people, I had um, a, a congregate, a friend, I say, you know, congregants and our friends, but whatever, Mm -hmm. come up to me after Mm -hmm. church on Sunday. And him and I have talked about Book of Enoch together. Him and I have talked about all kinds of fun, niche things together. And um, he's like, hey, man, Godspeed on this, (laughs) like, series. He goes, I think it's going to be hard because people will have, like, um, a plug and they don't have an outlet for it. Mm -hmm. They're like, I have this thing that my pastor gave me and I don't know where to plug it in. Mm -hmm. I have no socket. To put, plug it in, people will just be holding it for a while, or they'll just drop them. Like I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. They just don't have frameworks for it, and it'll freak some people out. And it had I had I had a few conversations where I'm like, I, "What do I? Are you saying God is like Zeus, that he has a pantheon mm-hmm. of gods and he's the god of gods?" And um, and so I know that I know I'm hoping that okay, just hang on, hang on to that cord. We're gonna yeah. you're gonna be able to plug it in. I promise you. Just hang on. The series is like nine weeks long or whatever. <laughs> you will be able to plug in. And I and I think just going, trying to go slow, but usually at the very beginning of a sermon, I will try to, to like
2: cause a problem,
0: cause a problem that you have to wrestle with, yes. and like oh, I, I I I'm gonna wrestle with this. I don't agree, and I want you not to agree. I will do that. I will poke a little bit on the, yeah. the first the first few, and then I'll mm-hmm. start to like hopefully build a map so people can like oh I know where I'm at now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if anything, it it uh, for people who are very certain about the that they know the way the world works. My hope Mm -hmm. is that they come from the series with just a new openness, Mm -hmm. that the world might Mm -hmm. be more complex than you believed, but that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And like the plot of every movie is like that too, where you like go on the hero's journey and uh, the conflict makes you a different kind of person and then you find resolution to it. And I think that was sort of your closing illustration on Mm -hmm. Sunday was like... on the bicycle? Yeah, sort of you're unenchanted and then you're... Enchanted. And then disenchanted. Yes. And that and then re-enchanted. And yeah. then there's different people along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for a certain type of person who's already been a Christian for a few years, they might sense a kind of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. from the first sermon. But like leaning into it, I think can, God can turn it to good. you know? Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. Yeah, and just going on that, I was just thinking about this this morning. Um, there are uh times in my in my pastoral uh, career where i was so enchanted where i would read minor prophets and map them over <laughs> history things and be like oh and then i remember moving here and then like that i'm like I, why did i even say all that stuff and i was like an enchanted disenchanted sort of thing and the bible is a little bit more lit, a little bit more like maps over rationality more than i thought and that was not rational and then I'm, i've i been moving into the last several years into a re-enchantment where i'm like no not some of that stuff is just kind of weird and wacky mm-hmm. and some of it is weird and wacky but it's true mm-hmm. and it's it, it this maps and not just maps but like tim Mackey and michael heiser who are like some of the best thinkers that we have especially in ancient jewish and semitic languages like in insane they're like no this this all maps like this this all maps Mm -hmm. to how the whole bible is put together and what makes sense of so much of the new testament Mm -hmm. so now i think this reenchantment is has happened for me and then bringing people along to like the world is getting way more weird Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. such a weird Mm -hmm. time we're living in and we and we need we need a worldview a biblical worldview that that has a framework for this and there is Mm -hmm. so that's that's the hope okay we're out of time. This went way long. Hopefully, the <laughs> the next ones won't be this long. But
1: maybe they will. Who knows?
0: Who knows? Okay, let me. I just want to end with uh, the Lord's Prayer.
1: Hmm.
0: Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, feedback, uh, go ahead and email hello at realitysf.com. Um, this is where we're kind of gathering questions and things to address in a sermon series, podcast, possible um, Q and A after uh, a Sunday sermon. Um, all the stuff we're thinking about as we dive into this topic one.